0: One of his drivers was doing a delivery and stopped at a red light. Somebody came up to his door, had him at gunpoint, told him to take the truck past the intersection, turn into like a small parking lot. The doors to the trailer were then unbolted. And the reason they were unbolted was because... They-
1: joined with us today is Christian Gebies, CEO and founder of Autobahn. Autobahn is an AI powered trucking assistance company that retrofits trucks to help drivers lessen accidents, improve efficiency, and make operating trucks less tedious. We will be diving into the complexities of the trucking industry and how the combination of novel hardware, software, and powerful artificial intelligence aims to disrupt the $700 billion freight market. Autobahn AI wants to turn all trucks into autonomous trucks. And this is part one of our fascinating conversation with Christian. An engineer, banker, and dancer
2: go on a hike. They realize how things have changed and start a podcast.
3: Hi, I'm Jed, the banker.
2: I'm Shikar, the
1: engineer. And I'm Adrian the dancer and we are THC.
3: We break down topics, meet pioneers, and share ideas.
2: Welcome to Things Have Changed.
3: The fact that on our
0: roads today there are approximately three and a half million trucks on the road and they are getting better and better in terms of how they're manufactured and produced. It lasts for 15 to 20 years. So when all this talk really about autonomous or driverless vehicles are on the forefront, they're on the horizon, yeah, they're going to be here within five or 10 years. Basically what that means is that, yeah, those vehicles could be on the horizon, but they're going to be operating amongst these vehicles, which if you compare them really directly compared to a fully driverless vehicle, the, the trucks and vehicles on the road today, they're dumb. They don't really have any form of intelligence or machine learning or AI capabilities. And so that's really where the kind of the premise for Audubon started was that there there really is this need for providing a system or an upgrade that allows these vehicles to be not completely disattached from the future. It's a wind visor replacement system at the core. So we essentially have built the first all-in-one system that installs onto the semi truck as a replacement component to the wind visor and within f- about 15 minutes. So there's about 10 bolts that you have to take off. It's it's a component that's on the outside of the truck right above front windshield. So we found this as the ideal location um, really to attach the sensing system that we need. And our visor includes all the sensing and compute in a single enclosure. There's a lot of benefits that that provides us with in terms of like competitive advantage and scalability. But most importantly, we're approaching this from a uh, cost-constraint standpoint. Ultimately, how do we achieve our goal of trying to upgrade as many of these semi-trucks uh, on the road as possible? So we are fundamentally taking a different approach, um, and uh, in terms of deep learning, you um, utilizing how do humans drive? How can we understand that data of their driving patterns and allow our Neural network architectures basically to process that data and make meaningful output decisions.
2: From what you know, you just said, is it in a way where a truck drives in to your facility and then you retrofit the hardware, the sensors, um, the cameras onto the truck? Then it has augmented at least uh, the truck in the sense that it's a bit more smarter now. Is that how you guys are looking at it?
0: Yeah. So you bring your truck to us, or as a matter of fact, we find you a load to bring to us. So there, there's no downtime and there's no cost incurred in that in, the, in ad, at all in the installation process. And when you come to our facility, what basically happens is it's a two-hour process that includes swapping out the wind visor for our s- smart visor, I guess you can say, as a computer, seven cameras, an accelerometer, GPS, radar and thermal and basically everything that's we believe is needed for doing things like lane changes and keeping in the lane, traffic workers control. As a matter of fact, we have no upfront option whatsoever. Um, oh, wow. Wow. If you decide to drive for us uh, or dedicate your capacity to us, um, we'll actually give you this technology for free and that actually has been working out quite well for us, it really eliminates this barrier of friction with attracting basically more trucks, or upgrading more trucks onto the road. Because that's ultimately our goal, and we're trying to figure out how we make a business out of this.
2: Kind, yeah, kind of like the freemium model where everyone gets it, and then you get a lot of data from it, understanding what that data actually does, and then you guys can take it from there.
0: Yeah, so when, when we touch data, it's it's data that is anonymized. So we obviously are, have a very huge privacy focus and when there's any data that we collect, for example, from these vehicles, we can't directly pinpoint it to a fleet or to an individual. However, a fleet themselves, uh, if they would like to have access to their data, they can and they can, they can know which trucks and which drivers kind of they keep.
1: So when you install the windvisor, do you plug it into the ECU of the truck? to interact with the truck's basically computer so it knows what it's go- what's going on in the engine and transmission and all that all those components.
0: Yeah, so there's a, there's a common uh, protocol um, that all commercial vehicles are, uh, mostly share. and that makes it easy for us to also make a universal like a retrofittable and universal um, system that works across different truck models. So we do tap into and connect into the what's more commonly, I guess, known as the CAN bus. Um, there's a specific type of protocol for semi trucks that doesn't appear in cars, for example. But we do basically plug into this, and we and there's a lot of information that you can get. It's you know wheel speed, steering angle, how much torque is a is a driver kind of inputting into the steering wheel at the same time. What's what gears the transmission in? You know, is the left or right turn signal being uh, clicked or reset a lot of different buttons, but long story short, it's as long as you tap into that data bus, um, you can really understand this kind of the state of the vehicle for the most part
3: are there um are there any interesting <laughs> insights that you pulled out from all this data that you're collecting recently you can share with us?
0: So we will be able to share some results uh, this summer. um we just basically had a, um, a kind of a new version of our of our system that of our visor that we installed and we've been using for a couple of months so it, it takes some time basically between collecting the data and labeling it and then being able to interpret um, some results from it i guess from some of the initial data sets that we've collected in the, in the past the more data that we have the more data that we label the more confident that we are that this problem actually is solvable this this problem is solvable from a from a computer vision standpoint but it does require a tremendous amount of data more than what most companies have exposure to or the ability to acquire. And so th- th- this would be a good example of why Tesla is quite well positioned in the automotive sector to really, in my opinion, like sweep out um, the rest of the competition for, you know, from whoever else automaker wise is, is making a vehicle. They have 700,000 vehicles on the road and they can tap into this all the time, right?
2: when did they switch on the so-called autopilot like a while ago and you have people all over the country driving in such different road conditions weather conditions different times of the day so that just that data set that they've generated tesla
3: and that i mean to that point uber has been collecting driving data ever since they were alive so i mean they also are coming up with solutions in that space as well i guess
0: but when you when when you say driving data, it, it does I think matter very much exactly what that data is. So Dash Cam companies right now, they're you know raising tons of money, getting crazy valuations. It's actually doing, I think, some good, definitely, especially for the trucking industry. But the data that they're collecting, it's it's just a forward facing direction in terms of autonomous driving or evolving towards higher levels of automation. The thing that's you're lacking is basically a you know a side view and a rear view you kind of can't mix multiple sets of of data when you're trying to test uh, the scenarios of how does a vehicle drive through an environment that is able it, that it is able to interpret you know we're we're focusing on building a system that that has seven cameras in in one uh, in one enclosure and one that we can attach to a vehicle very quickly in in terms of scale that we need to reach the the number that we've kind of calculated relatively roughly uh, is about 50,000 trucks need to be uh, installed in, uh, with our system uh, in order to get to the point of approximately like where how much data Tesla is collecting right now on the road.
1: That's, that's not that much if you think about it, because Tesla, what did they sell? Their millionth car on the road recently. Yeah. And yeah. all you guys need with your seven camera enclosure add-on is 50,000 trucks to collect the same amount of data. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah, and uh, to put that into perspective, uh, two different ways. One is that there's three and a half million trucks on the road, uh, and another perspective is that the largest trucking company, uh, the the largest company that has that owns the most amount of tractors, which is the front part, not the trailer. Um, I believe is twenty two thousand. Um, so it's basically two of the largest companies um,
2: in the world. Christian, just to you know, point out we were kind of researching on the landscape of trucking. And it was kind of, um, it was staggering to us to think that trucking is the third most dangerous job in the country. All our supplies, groceries, livelihoods kind of depend on this industry, which is being slept on. Uh, And also the amount of scrutiny that the drivers have on a day-to-day basis to, in order to hit their targets, hit their timelines, irregardless of the weather conditions, if it's snowing outside, if there's sleet, if it's rain, they still need to hit those timelines. And it makes it a very dangerous job. There's good and bad parts to the job, but I wanted to understand that
0: firsthand myself. How far are we away from truly automating everything? And losing, how much focus are we losing on kind of what exists in the world today, what problem exists in the world today that's going to stay with us for a very long time. Um, So I went out actually to get my license to to do deliveries. It's like supposed to take you like six months to get it. I had to figure out how to get it in four weeks. I did it. And yeah, there's a lot um, that goes into driving a truck more than you'd think. There's a quite heavy exam that you have to take and... The amount of things that you need to check before you go out onto the road uh, in terms of is the vehicle functioning properly is a is long list. But I have a lot of respect for these drivers um, in terms of what they're able to do. Um, not many people really appreciate it. So,
3: Do you think the, the process, like you just talked about how, how difficult it was to get started driving a, a commercial vehicle, do you think that process contributes to why there's a shortage um, of truckers right now in the industry?
0: There are... I believe sixty or seventy thousand drivers more drivers needed when you read that in the in articles or in the media, um, the one thing that i don't believe is is actually being stated about this, um, which which I believe makes a difference is that it's it's not necessarily that there isn't c d l holders that don't physically have a license it's that there aren't uh, enough drivers with fair amount of years of skill um, that they have been driving for a couple more than five years and When we actually looked into the statistics behind what's the difference between a driver who's brand new, for example, like myself at one point, and somebody who's been driving for more than five years, we found these quite astonishing statistics that told us a driver who's brand new with less than five years of experience, they use 15% more fuel and they produce that many more emissions. If you take into account just the emission side, all the trucks in the U.S. produce more emissions than double the amount of coal plants in the U.S. combined. There is technology today that exists uh, that can fix these problems. Um, It just hasn't been packaged in a way that can actually make the difference. But the the other statistic that we found was uh, that drivers with less than five years of experience, they're 41% more likely to cause an accident. This past year, I think we've started to actually see that metric come to light because left and right over this past year, you saw trucking companies filing for bankruptcy and stating that um, the the reason for it is skyrocketing insurance premiums.
2: So, with Autobahn package, this would improve uh, safety for the car uh, for the trucks because the drivers have like you know a driving assistance at all time. You mentioned fuel usage, so it would improve fuel usage just by knowing like exactly what to do or safety is a it's a requirement.
0: Um, so. Efficiency is the thing that can you know, be uh, improved, uh, but we view this, uh, how we develop our, our technology or our products um, for our fleet partners, uh, we view it more holistically. And trucking is not just about driving. It's significantly based also on communication and quality of assurance kind of, in terms of service that you provide to your customer, um, which would be a shipper in this case. What are the problems for our customers one is that okay well they're paying 70 to 100 billion dollars extra a year in wasted shipping costs that's from wasted fuel accidents deaths fatalities insurance premiums but additionally there's 15 to 30 billion dollars of cargo theft every single year so that's an astronomical number in terms of why is this freight getting and stolen and Is there any
2: way to prevent it? Did you say cargo thefts? Like actually robbing, like stealing what the truck is carrying?
0: Yeah, so I'll give you a story. And this was actually told to me by one of our advisors. He was the former co-founder and COO of Coyote Logistics. They got bought up by UPS for I think like two or three billion dollars. He shared a story one time that one of his drivers was doing a delivery and stopped at a red light. Somebody came up to his door, had him at gunpoint, told him to take the truck past the intersection, turn into like a small parking lot. The doors to the trailer were then unbolted. And the reason they were unbolted was because there's a seal usually that is put onto the door, the door lock, which ensures that the door wasn't open between transits. So they unbolted the door. They took out a bunch of pallets there's like 16 pallets. I think they were like taking four or five pallets that they took off. They rebolted the door and then sent the driver back along their way. And the seal was intact. So then it kind of looks like, oh, whoever loaded this truck didn't put the correct amount of pallets, right? And so then shippers are going back and forth for months on end trying to figure out who's at fault here like is it the trucking company or is it somebody on our side and there's no way really to prove it we actually have had some significant success on a solution that we've implemented as a like an accessory to our to our visor what we call cargo cam cargo cam it just allows us to monitor what's happening inside the trailer and that makes a whole world of a difference for us when we're servicing chippers at the same time it allows us to resolve these discrepancies with our customers extremely quickly, right? And that saves them time, that saves them money. It's a little bit difficult to quantify, but we have had one scenario where we had a one and a half, almost a one and a half million dollar machine tip over in our our vehicle Um, and we pulled up the footage. Long story short, we were able to resolve that within five minutes and the customer basically told us this would have taken weeks if not months for us to resolve.
1: Are you guys basically hiring drivers with your installed technology, and they're basically making uh, trips for you. Like, are you, how is that structured?
0: Yeah, so we we work with other fleet partners. Basically, we we vet them; they're good at what they do on the business side. That the, basically they're just on top of their stuff. So we vet them, and then we give them the software that says, "Hey, you know, we can provide you with this with our technology that we're building in house uh, for free." If, if you agree to work with us, if you, if you partner with us and dedicate your capacity to us. And by doing so, we can actually ensure that you're getting really good work. It's stable. It's a good income. And at the same time, this technology that we give you is actually going to be lowering your operating costs. So insurance, it's going to be lowering fuel usage and ultimately... You know the margin for the, for the fleet uh, would be improving.
2: You mentioned also insurance. Now, having something like this where you can always keep track of cargo and safety, you're improving efficiency, reduced fuel, would that be a huge, I guess, market in itself, just being able to provide that information to the insurance company?
0: It is a it is huge opportunity as well. We see it being a 40% insurance discount that can be provided. It's about $19,000 for us to insure a truck a year, 40 to maybe even 50% discount of this, almost by the, the insurance discount by itself pays, helps almost pay off the, the cost that it takes for us to make make our whole system and basically the cost of the upgrade to the fleet partner. So we're, we're, we're adding on a lot of different ways to really drive down the operating costs make the margins very high um, and increase the ROI basically to deploy as many of these systems out onto the road as possible. Because you know, they can have these passive or active safety systems and intelligent fuel throttle and braking usage. Uh, that just means less accidents, less deaths, and fewer emissions for the environment, obviously, right?
1: When you're getting these discounts for insurance for the trucks, is there like a grid line of at level one, autonomous driving, you get this discount at level two. This is what we can do with you. Level three, we can work this with you. Is there like any structure on how insurance companies are working with the different levels of autonomy?
0: I wouldn't say um, too many insurance companies are. They, they might say they're thinking about it, but in retrospect, uh, nothing is really happening. There, It's like a waiting game for most of them. Mm-hmm. Like, what is everybody else kind of going to do?
3: That that will probably be industry led. Like, they insurance companies have to probably work with the, the biggest guys in this the, the autonomous industry to figure out like what what are the dimensions that we decide how to insure something. But no, dude, I think we're years away from that.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, I think well, at least the the, the current company that uh, that we're working with right now, they have to really be forward thinking. They really have to see the value and need for what. What is the future of insurance of vehicles or kind of like mobile assets? The, the, the partner that, we, that, we've, that we're working with right now, they understand that the company that has and produces the most amount of anonymized data to get a baseline of how do, ve- how do drivers and vehicles drive without any assisted driving and how do vehicles drive with self-driving features. For us, it's like passive, self-driving, or fully self-driving. The reason that we kind of ways like passive is okay, you know, driver's still entirely full in, fully in control. It's a system that's providing warnings to the driver, and then when it's self-driving, it's it can do self-driving things. It can it can the vehicle can drive itself in certain scenarios, but it still requires the driver. Fully self-driving should be the case where that is a term that's left for, it's fully driving by itself without a need for intervention for the driver. So some people might disagree with us on that, but, but yeah, we, we, we do. And so in terms of like the SAE terminology, I guess you can say majority of the vehicles on the road, they don't even have like level one features. We're doing everything from level zero to level one, uh, level two up right now. And obviously in the future, one of our goals is level four, level five, but in terms of allowing, make, you know, making that happen on really any road at any time. You know, there's, there's still there's still work to be done. LiDAR uh, does allow you to move quickly in terms of like having a route, a single route that you can just redo constantly. For a lot of trucking applications, that does make sense. I don't think there has been a single delivery that we've done that has been to the same place at the same time of driving throughout any road environment, regardless of whether it's seen it before or not. That's how you should define self-driving or fully self-driving is that the AI behind it is able to deal with that, even if it hasn't seen it before.
2: So we live in Phoenix and the number of Waymo and Cruise and, you know, all different self-driving cars, we just see them a lot. Like uh, we always see um, a driver, but it's driving itself. He's not physically holding the steering wheel, uh, but he's always there. Now, seeing that around us already, do you still think that trucking would be the first place it actually gets systemized? Having this augmented self-driving, that sort of thing, would it still be able to reach a widespread adoption over more just the cars, the robo-taxis, where there's a lot more corner cases in that case? There's, There's like... You've got to look at traffic lights, you've got to look at uh, turns, lanes, cyclists, things like that. But with trucking, it's more on the highways, that sort of thing.
0: Highway is much easier, of course. It's obviously higher speeds, so there are their own sets of problems there. But automating highway, I think, will, will come first. It's just because of the reduced complexity and the operational domain. However, in terms of the scale in which it will be adopted, or you'll see it on the highway, I don't think that will be as fast as people think. And the reason for this is if you just take the total amount of vehicles that are produced by all the truck manufacturers in in the US every year, it's about 200,000 trucks. Out of those trucks that are being produced, you know, not all of those are being used only on those same routes, you know, out in the West Coast where it's like sunny and good weather conditions. There's only a subset of those vehicles that that are and only a subset of the companies that have that type of scheduling to be able to utilize vehicles that operate only on a specific route and they can't operate on any other route because of just how the system itself is going to be designed.
1: This concludes part one of our episode with Christian Gebies.
2: Thanks for listening to Things Have Changed.
1: Be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode and follow us on our Instagram at THC underscore pod.
3: We're going to see you next time.